Our first Bible reading comes from Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Friends, our second reading this morning comes from uh, Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from verse 9 to verse 12. So that's Matthew chapter 6 and starting at verse 9. Let's hear from God's word. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Friends, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your wonderful word. And we pray now by your spirit that you would speak to us through it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But Yahweh God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? And friends, with that question put to our first parents and the fall, the fallout between them and God that resulted, we come to the second request concerning ourselves in this prayer Jesus gave us to pray. The first, as we saw last week, was for God to give us what we need, to give us what we need to stay physically alive. And this second petition starts with give again, doesn't it? Only this time it's give with three letters put before it. F-O-R, forgive. And what does give mean when we do that? Well, we all know what it means now, but go back in time and originally 
forgive meant to give completely, without reservation, seeking nothing in return. And what do we humans need more than anything else in this respect from God? Well, having what we just read from Genesis 3, that would not be food or any physical thing, would it? But a fixing, a restoration of what was lost, lost between one another, but most importantly, lost between us and God. As Adam and Eve, rather than running toward him, as usual, took off in the other direction. An action, a running, we continue, continue to do with our Heavenly Father to this very day. And friends, in this we see our greatest need. Not to have faster legs or find a better hiding spot, but to somehow turn this situation around. And so this word, forgive, over the course of time came to represent that number one need, encapsulating the pardon, the reconciliation, mercy, redemption that we all need from God for life, a life worth living, the life we were originally created for. And so says Jesus, pray for God to give you what you physically need, verse 11 but only so you might have the strength to ask for what you truly need. Verse 12. But friends, here's a question as I say that. Do we in our lives see pardon for sin as our most urgent, greatest and ongoing need? As we come to God during the week in prayer, is forgiveness at the top of our entry or in our tray at all? Do we come to our Heavenly Father as Mr. Fix-It and get frustrated when he doesn't fix it while we ignore the one thing, the main thing, we continually keep breaking in thought, word and deed? Friends, let's be honest. Half the battle in our prayer life is saying those first four words in verse 12 and when we do, truly and honestly, Owning those words. And if we travel back to where it all began, who hasn't read about Adam and Eve's taking and eating of the fruit and then how God dealt with him, tossed out of the garden, pain in childbirth, frustration and toil, and then finally the agony of death? Who of us have, have ever read that and not thought, gee, I'm not entirely sure the punishment fits the crime here? All of that for a mistake, a poor choice, a single moment of weakness. If you can relate to that, you know, ever thought in a similar way about God's dealings with our first parents, then this is where we need to start if we're going to pray forgive and genuinely, truly see it as our greatest need, our personal greatest need. So what exactly happened at that, at that tree? What was going on for our first parents that saw them take that fruit, look fondly at it, and then sink their teeth into it? Well, a fairly bright German Christian who lived a few centuries ago called Zacharias Ursinius did some thinking on this. And here's a bit of a summary of his reflections. First, in taking of the fruit, Adam and Eve were filled with something we call pride. How so? 
Well, there, there they were as they walked to that tree, rulers, owners and keepers of the entire lot. Now, that's good, said Satan, that's great, but he didn't give you this, did he? And with a few short words, all that God had given them was seen as less than them, not worthy of them, beneath them. No wonder we now have the saying, pride comes before a fall. Secondly, in taking in and believing the serpent's message, Adam and Eve had to simultaneously brand God as a deceiver and a liar. And thirdly, and linked to this, as they took that bite, they did so with utter contempt in their hearts toward God, as they believed he was selfishly and intentionally holding out on them. And finally, and worst of all, the sin at the tree was idolatry in its purest form. For in believing and obeying the devil's word, Adam and Eve completely switched allegiance from God to him. Satan was now Lord. And this, of course, was the devil's goal, seen so clearly in that final temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. All this I give you if you bow down and worship me. But where Jesus refuses, Adam and Eve take the knee. And in so doing, we see there is nothing unthought through, naive or accidental going on here whatsoever. No, friends, what went on at the tree was nothing short of an overthrow, a coup. Our first parents' attempt to kick God out of the garden, never to return. And so the surprise, shock and hiding when Satan slinked off and Yahweh showed up. Walked in with the very same power and authority as he had before. And so we have this three-letter word which points to our desire to have the world minus the one who made it and placed us in it. Sin. The desire to kill God and rule in his place. That's what entered Adam and Eve's heart and now occupies every heart from that day on. Jeremiah writes, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? David confesses, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. Reflecting on this, Luther wrote, Original sin is like a man's beard. We are shaved today and look clean, but tomorrow it has grown again. Nor does it cease growing while we remain on earth, but continues to spring forth as long as we live. Springs forth. And we, in subtle and not so subtle ways, listen to its snake call and repeat and repeat the sin at the tree. It's a tragic, endless horrible spiral of rebellion that we are all born into and will eventually die from. We are outside the garden and we know it. Which is why wherever you go in the world, you'll find different strategies, different teachings, philosophies, religions that seek to find the way back in before we breathe our last 
And not surprisingly, because the problem started with us, so must the cure. The onus is on us to fix what was broken because that's how restoration in relationships works, doesn't it? We must make things right with the offended party or things will never be right. Back in Sydney, I live smack bang in the middle of a religious community called Sikhs. Their main temple was only about a kilometre away from my house. Here's a few sentences from their scriptures. The one who leaves all the materialistic things, renounces wealth and has detached himself from this world. The one who recites the name of God day and night, that person is the one who knows salvation. Friends, notice what was repeated there. The one. The one. The one because we are the ones who have to make the first move. If God is to allow us to move back in the garden with him again. Now friends, this starting with us approach in one way or another is what is taught in virtually every or by every single religious leader on the face of the earth. And as I said, understandably so. The offence starts with us. But there was one leader who bucked the trend. This leader calls on us to call on God to make the first move. To absolve resolve and dissolve completely and utterly the, the offence. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us our sins. But friends, as this Jewish leader called on his Jewish disciples to pray this way, those 12 men, men simply would not have been able to remove their own efforts from that forgiveness process. No way. Forgive me my sins as I follow your law better, closer. Forgive me my sins through this animal sacrifice to keep your forgiveness going and fully up to date. Friends, working for God's forgiveness was most certainly in the disciples' minds as they prayed those four words. After all, if God could just forgive, he would have done so way back at the tree, wouldn't he? But here we all are. So forgive us our sins as we put in to earn it and keep it. But as they prayed, thinking that way, Jesus had something else in mind, didn't he? A work for God's forgiveness, yes. A sacrifice, absolutely. But a work, a sacrifice not done by us. For no one, no matter how good, no matter how many sacrifices offered, can fix a rebellious heart and so fix the broken relationship. And this one leader knew it. He knew doing all that stuff, sacrificing stuff, was no better than putting lipstick on a pig. You can cover that pig with all the lipstick you want, but at the end of the day, the pig is still a pig. The rebel heart remains. 
So what was Jesus thinking when he said, forgive us our sins? What work on this rebel heart did he have in mind? That wasn't just another layer of fancy window dressing. Well, friends, he was thinking of a work performed by himself. A giving of himself that would see him look out from another hill over a similar crowd where he would cry out that very same word. Forgive. Father, forgive. Finalise the punishment, the exile, the payment, the wrong, the offence, everything from that Genesis tree on in me. My perfect work, this perfect sacrifice, may I surely die so they no longer have to. My life for theirs. That's what Jesus was thinking. For that's what Jesus came to do. And friends, that's what Jesus did. First word on the cross, forgive. Final word on the cross, it is done. It is finished. Later on, Paul assures the Corinthians it most certainly is. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter writes, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. The punishment that began at a tree was paid for at a tree. The first man's evil fixed by the second man's righteousness. And we move from belonging to the first man to the second. How? Well, let's hear it from the man himself. John chapter 6. Lord, what other works God requires? What, what, what must we do? Jesus says, the work of God is this to believe in the one he sent. Paul to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Condemnation through Adam, forgiveness through Christ. Friends, when we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins, the whole hot mess, we do so with confidence. For we aren't looking at what we've done to achieve that forgiveness, but what Jesus has done. When we pray those first four words in verse 12, we do so looking to, to the second tree that deals with what happened at the first, fully totally and completely. But if that's true, why does Jesus continue in the way that he does? Verse 12 in full, have a look. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now does this mean God's forgiveness comes with a single condition? We must do it first. It sure seems that way, doesn't it? Have a look down at verse 14. Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Friends, what exactly do we do with that? Well, it seems Peter was wondering the very same thing because a little while later on he has a question for Jesus on this very topic. Have a listen. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Surely that's enough. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, i.e. every time. And in the face of Peter's shock as to the endless stream of mercy he is expected to extend, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And so we see in this parable God's forgiveness most certainly comes first. But what is the evidence it has come and truly taken effect? Not appreciation, says Jesus, but imitation. Not appreciation, but imitation. Why imitation? Because our relationship with others cannot be separated from our relationship with God. Remember Jesus' words concerning the poor? Whatever you did for the least of these, you also did for me. Friends, these words could not make the point any clearer. Our relationship with God is revealed through our treatment of others. Not those you like, but those you don't. Those who have wronged you and sinned against you. Seven times? No, 77 times, because that's what you got. And so if you have it, if forgiveness has entered your heart, then forgiveness will flow from your heart. But if judgment flows, then know this, says Jesus, You don't know my forgiveness. The first tree 
and what happened there has not been replaced by what happened at the second. Now, that's you this morning, still at the first tree. Maybe this morning, this moment, is the moment where you stop running and hiding and look to the second tree and hear those words from the one on it. Father, forgive. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful, awesome forgiveness. We thank you, Father, that it is full and total and complete when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that he also teaches us to pray. As we have been forgiven, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to forgive. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know that forgiveness, know the wonderful truth of the cross, that there it is all paid for in full. I pray that this might be the morning where they might know that forgiveness the full payment for all sin. And Heavenly Father, for us who do know that forgiveness, we pray, Father, that you would forgive us for not extending it to others. And Heavenly Father, we pray as we go from here this morning that by your Spirit you would help us to flow out the forgiveness, the love, the mercy that you have shown us to others. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.